This podcast is a presentation of Gateway Fellowship, Paulsville, Washington. Experience community, find hope. Check us out at gatewayfellowship.com. You know, um, I looked at the email that contained the teaching schedule for this uh, unit on Philemon, and uh, I saw where I was, and I saw my passage, and so I was like, okay, Philemon, verse 21, and the first words were confident of your obedience. And um, I got to give you a little context for that, because see, if you don't know, I teach high school, and I happen to be in the classroom in my rowdiest class of the day. Like, it was just getting started, and I saw the email, and so I checked it. And I literally just thought about those words at that moment in my life, confident of your obedience. That, that's saying something. Like, if you've had children, if you've, had, you've been around teenagers before, confident of your obedience. In fact, it made me think about, I work with uh, high schoolers, and so they, uh, I have a group of them that lead kind of the, the elementary worship time in chapel. It's like praise, and, and they do the motions with songs. And so I had a group of senior guys in that, in that class period come to me and say, Ms. Boyd, we have an idea. Okay, that can be a thing. And they said, we, we want to we wanna teach, we want to go old school. And I was like, well, you're old school or my old school? We got to define what, what school are we talking about here, right? And then they said, well, we, <clears throat> we, we really want to do Pharaoh, Pharaoh. And I was like, okay. And they're like, but we want to surprise you. And we want to do all the motions. And it will be so good. And at this moment, I'm like, oh, man. Because I believe in young people. I believe in putting young people into positions where they can lead and they can do things. But you know, confident of your obedience is floating in my mind. Like, I don't, I don't, okay, okay, so you don't want me involved. You just want to do it. And they're like, yeah, we just want to do it. And then one of them looks at me and says, Miss Boyd, it will be epic. And I'm like, yeah, but that can go, that can go two different ways and be epic. Like, memorable is not always good. I don't know. But I, uh, I decided to trust them in their obedience, and I, was, I don't know that I was confident, but I was like, okay. And I, I left them with this parting phrase, don't make me regret this, right? This is, this is what I told them. And so the day comes, and it's chapel, and I'm standing on the stage, and I say, I'd like to invite my high school friends to come help us worship, and I see in the back this single file line of about 12 to 15 high school senior young men, and they are like marching with like zeal is the only word I can think of, down the aisle, up on the stage, and they proceed to lead Pharaoh Pharaoh with coordination and moves. And there's like this little motion where uh, time in the middle of the song, it's like a freestyle. And they like, they have it all coordinated out with the motions. And I've never seen fifth grade boys get as excited in elementary music time than when those senior boys led Pharaoh, Pharaoh. And I thought, oh man, confident of your obedience. What would lead Paul to say that about Philemon? What would justify that phrase? Because that's a phrase, right? If you've been parent, teachers, I mean, confident of your 
obedience. And so I want to look at the context here. Uh, again, I know some of us have been with the, the teaching series here for a few weeks in case you're new and you're coming in today. The context of this passage of Philemon is really interesting because Philemon was a well-to-do Roman. He would have been a, a leader in the house church in Colossae. We have Onesimus who wrongs him and runs away and then gets saved and is serving with Paul as a ministry partner of Paul. And while Paul would rather keep Onesimus uh, where he is, he realized that there's, there's some unresolved conflict here with Philemon. And so he's going to send him back to Philemon with this letter that we are reading. And so I want us to think about that context as we come to verse 21 today in the book of Philemon that says, confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. That is some relational currency right there, right? Because if you're asking a favor of somebody and you're, you're kind of like the one making the request, then to say even more than what I ask, I mean, this is, this is big. Paul is, Paul is being pretty bold here. He's pretty, he's confident as we read. And so it's interesting as we think about the request that Paul is making, the fact that he's so assured that Philemon is going to respond the way he does, and especially in light of the context. In fact, it makes me think about, as I was studying this and praying about this, the idea of our rights, right? The concern that we have for our rights. Because if you think about it, Philemon here, as the Roman citizen, has the legal right to punish or imprison Onesimus. Like legally, he would have had the right to do that. And now Paul is asking him to do something other than what he has the right to do. And he's confident that he's going to do it. And I think that this is a very interesting and yet very difficult conversation for us as Americans and American Christians. Because see, as Americans, we have very strong feelings about our rights. And that is not bad. Politically, uh, historically, in our country, we, we have the freedoms, we have rights that have been paid for dearly. The, the, this is not a bad thing, and I don't mean to make it out in that light at any extent, but that is one conversation over here that as Americans, we can have. But as believers, it's different. That, that's, that's an American conversation. As, as Christians, it seems to be that when we look at the example here in Philemon and some other examples that we're going to look at today, the, the conversation is not about our rights. See, the gospel is not about our country, no matter what country we come from, it is about the kingdom of God. And we need to be clear on that. Because... If there's confusion between these two aspects of our life, we can end up, I think, in, in some dangerous territory. So I don't want to build a theology on one verse of Philemon where he says, I'm confident of your obedience, but let's take a look at the pattern of Scripture um, 
and what Paul has to say. So if we were to look at the book of Philippians and we look at chapter 3, verse 20, Paul is going to write to the church of Philippi, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the interesting thing about the church of Philippi is that it was actually a Roman colony with a lot of nationalistic sense, a lot of retired soldiers and Roman citizens. And here Paul is saying to this very nationalistic area of Rome, your citizenship, your primary allegiance is heaven. Now, I wonder, I wonder how many broken relationships exist in the church because we have elevated the wrong kingdom. Because see, God's a God who used godly kings and ungodly kings. God's a a God who saw kingdoms come to power and kingdoms fall and nothing thwarted the sovereign will of God. He doesn't need a political party in power, no matter what political party it is that we're talking about. We serve the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and our primary allegiance as Christians is to the kingdom of God. Now that does not mean that politics is wrong or bad or that there's not a place to have those conversations. I love politics. I love having a good political discussion. I grew up in a very political home. So I'm I'm not saying that this is wrong or bad or that we don't have um, voices here or that this isn't an important thing. I'm just saying we as Christians have to make sure we understand that there's a difference between where I live and the government and rights and the kingdom of God. And that this The kingdom is our primary concern. And so to convince you, I want to show you one more passage of scripture, because if we were to look at the place in scripture that tells us about Paul starting the church of Philippi, we would go to Acts chapter 16. Now here's what Acts 16 verses 1 through 3 says. Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that uh, that his father was a Greek. Now, I hope you all know that I would not be bringing up the issue of circumcision unless it really mattered to the discussion. That's one in a public setting we, we stay away from if possible as a Bible teacher, you know? So I, I want you to see how fitting this is. In Acts chapter 15, so just a, a few verses before this, in Acts 15, there is a very important council that happens in the church. And you have Barnabas and Paul on kind of one side of the discussion, and you have James who's leading the church of Jerusalem on another issue, and the issue is circumcision. Do believers, do Gentile believers have to become circumcised in order to be a follower of Christ? 
And you have Paul and Barnabas arguing and advocating that they don't, that that's not a requirement. And you have kind of the Judaizer side with James, and they had kind of been saying that that did need to happen. And so there's this wrestling within the church on this particular issue, and the church decides that you do not have to get circumcised to be a follower of Christ. That's good. So what does it have to do with what we're talking about? If Paul is advocating one chapter earlier that you don't have to be circumcised to be a follower of Jesus, then why in chapter 16, just a few verses later, does he ask, or I mean, I'm assuming he asked and Timothy said yes, why is Timothy then circumcised? Is this just a contradiction? No, I think it's very particular, and I think verse 3 tells us why. Because of the Jews who lived in that area. See, this was not a requirement. Timothy had the right to say, I don't have to be. And yet, for the sake of the gospel, there is a laying down of rights. For the sake of the the gospel, Paul is going to say to Philemon... Take him back as a brother. Lay down the right that you have here. Lay down the way that you could respond. The church in this season is divided on so many issues that have nothing to do with the gospel or salvation. Partly because of our concern for our rights. Important conversation, but our primary allegiance. There's a a tension there that we have to wrestle with, and I'm not saying it's easy, but our priority as followers of Christ, our greatest concern, our chief obligation must be to make Christ known. It is not our political party. It is not our president. It is not a particular side of the aisle that our hope is in or that our passions are warranted for. It is not our allegiance to this world that will save people. We preach Christ crucified. And when we understand this, when we understand that to be here has complications for how I perceive my rights and how I act within my rights, where it leads us is to a call for obedience that becomes very sacrificial. See, the obedience that Paul is referring to is not asking Philemon to be obedient to him. It is Paul referring to the fact that Christ was obedient and Philemon will be obedient to Christ's example. Paul here is not saying, I'm confident that you're going to obey me. Paul is saying, I am confident that you are obedient to the example that Christ set for us, and Christ himself laid down his rights. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8 says, Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage? Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
that the Son of Man, who is fully God, who is divine, would not consider equality with God, his divine nature, something to be used to his own advantage, but laid it aside so that he could in humility come to be obedient to the point of death. This laying aside of rights that are rightfully ours. Position that was rightfully his. For the sake of the truth of who he is that we might be reconciled to him. That is humility. You know, early in my teaching career, I had the privilege of teaching our eighth grade leadership class. And uh, there's an event for middle school. It's called Middle School Mania. And it's a day away from school up at like a campground, and they do all kinds of fun activities, and there's a barbecue. And, you know, in the eighth grader's mind, you know, you get to the top grade of middle school, it's top dog situation. So as we're... We're working with this eighth grade leadership class to plan middle school mania, and I'm noticing a theme that, well, they're going to go first, and eighth graders are going to get all the best activities in eighth grade, and eighth grade, and eighth grade, and eighth grade, and I thought, oh, the little Bible teacher heart in me was like, learning moment. So we started opening up every day of class talking about the way Jesus led. We want to lead like Jesus, right? So we read this Philippians passage. We read the verse in the Gospels, you know, Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve. And we just kept talking about Jesus' example and Jesus' example. And I knew that they started to understand with the crestfallen faces. Miss Boyd, you don't, you don't want us to go first. I just, I want you to lead like Jesus. That's what I want. What does that look like? <sighs> Miss Boyd, we're not going to get in lunch first line, are we? I, I don't, what would Jesus do? I don't know. I don't know. What, what do you think? And they started to see that leading like Jesus meant a lot like sacrifice. No greater humility in an eighth grade life than putting a sixth grader in front of you in line. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of spiritual disciplines going on at middle school mania that year. Humility. See, rights are about position. Rights are about privilege. Obedience is it's about sacrifice. Obedience to Christ has to look like sacrifice because that's the example that he set, right? And this is why Paul himself is actually following the example of Christ in this passage because a few verses before the one we're looking at today in Philemon verse 18, Paul says this, if he's done any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I'll pay. Charge it to me. In other words, Paul is going to absorb the cost. Why does Paul do that? Not just because he cares for Onesimus, but because this is what Christ did for us. Christ absorbs our wrongs. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message 
of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That the way Christ bore the harm of our sin, we bear the harm of other wrongs too. In order that there can be reconciliation. As we are at peace with God, we help others be at peace with God, and then we live at peace with each other. What Christ did for us and what we do for others in the strength of Christ is the ministry of reconciliation. And in this area, friends, we are all called to ministry. You can't just say, that's my pastor's job. This is a ministry calling that we all share those who are in Christ. So I'm struck. I'm struck by the fact that Paul is confident of Philemon's response because he is confident that Philemon knows Christ, loves Christ, will follow Christ, and will act like Christ in this difficult situation. That's hard. I'm sure Philemon had some feelings. He's human, how could he not? I'm sure Onesimus had some feelings about going back, right? He's in Christ now, but there's some ownership that has to be, has to be ma- taken here. And this is not an easy situation. It's not that the, the band-aid of putting Christ on, it just makes it all better. Difficult work, hard things, people, real people, real life, real emotions. And yet the example of Christ. So how do we do this? I, I want to bring us to a place of, of a couple application points this morning. We clearly see that this is what Scripture's teaching. So what does it mean for us? How do we, how do we walk out of church willing to, to be reconcilers? And I think the first thing that we have to ask ourselves is, am I willing to follow Christ's example to lay aside rights for the sake of the gospel? Am I willing... Now, I don't know about you, but the first thing in my heart where my rights get bothered is when I have the right-of-way driving and someone doesn't yield or cuts me off. That is not an I, I, Jesus loves you kind of sentiment that rises up in my heart. There's some unsanctified action. I'm still in the process of becoming like Jesus in that area, right? my rights, to, to, to lay them aside? Am I willing to forego some position that is mine? I was an only child. I'm very attached to that word, mine. Yes. Am I willing to follow Christ's example? And I think sometimes this has to start with a prayer. God, would you help me? Would you help me see the places where I can lay my rights aside? I'm not going to spend too much time unpacking this because Pastor Tom's going to speak the next couple of weeks on, on this idea of reconciliation. But let's lay in some seed work for it today. Am I willing to follow Christ's example in this area? I'm willing to be forgiven. I love when he forgives me. Am I willing to forgive others? And that leads to the second point of application. Am I willing to, to in relationships around me, 
Am I holding people's sins against them? Or am I working towards reconciliation? Am I willing to forgive? And, and there's a couple of anomaly points here that I want to I I, I talk about. Because if you are here and, and you, you are in this category where someone has hurt you or has abused you, what forgiveness does not mean is that you just keep staying in an unsafe situation or taking abuse that, and, and then saying, well, I'm called as a Christian to forgive. That's a different category of, of things. And if that's the case, then please talk to a pastor so they can counsel you on, some, on, on wise ways to, to handle that. Forgiveness does not also mean that you just write off the wrong. That's, that's a, a cheap version. That's like someone copying someone's notes and no work is actually done there. That's not forgiveness. But this idea that, that I'm willing to be reconciled. I'm willing to have the conversations that are hard. I'm willing to forgive if it's also being sought and others are wanting to be reconciled. And you know, the worship team is going to come out and we're going we're to worship here in a moment. But I want us to think about this. Reconciliation is a two-way street. And there may come a point where you are willing to be reconciled and others are not. But Romans tells us, chapter 12, verse 18 says that if it is possible, in as much as it depends on you, live at peace. So that if someone was willing, you are willing to forgive. That you are willing to be an ambassador of reconciliation. That you're not holding on to the bitterness or the anger or the resentment, the hurt. That you're willing to let God clean that and do restorative work that only he can do. And I, I'm, I'm struck because, you know, we all talk about peace and we all talk about wanting peace. And, and yet the reality is that peace is a difficult thing that often requires a lot of work, a lot of sacrifice. And yet the other aspect of that is that that is a gift that God promises to his people. That we, if we are in him, can be at peace with him and that he will give peace and, you know, in a few moments, we're going to sing a, a, about the, the, the Old Testament blessing of, you know, God promising to bless Israel as they are faithful to him. It says, God, you know, the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you, lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. And so as we spend time and worship here, would, would we just take a moment to reflect in our heart? God, I, I want to be right with you and I want to be right with others. Would you help me pray for and work towards peace in whatever situation you are in? Let's turn our attention and our heart to a time of worship.